0: Praise the Lord everybody. How many are excited to be in the house of the Lord? The psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Anybody glad like the psalmist here tonight that you were in the house of the Lord? You could have been just about anywhere on a Friday night. I know it's Friday night and I feel all right. You could have been just about anywhere, but you are in God's presence here tonight. And it is such a, a great treat to be in His presence. Thank you so very much uh, for the opportunity to be here and uh, to worship with all of you. Indeed, it is an honor. It is a great honor. And uh, I want to uh, thank the ministry, the, the team here, the Bishop and pastor, and all of you that were responsible for uh, having me here tonight. Indeed, it is an honor as well to have my uh, two sons with me, uh, Caleb and Micah. And uh, yeah. uh, they're single, and. <laughs> <laughs> We, we don't have many requirements. Like, we're not, we're not very picky. We don't have very many requirements. Uh, all that we ask is that you are, uh, number one, rich, and in a distant second, that you're saved. But anyway, uh, we are very excited to be here, and um, we thank you for that opportunity. I want to turn your attention to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, and Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verse Verse 1, and then I'm going to read verse 1 through verse 8, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 8. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 8. And the Bible reads as so in the name of Jesus Christ. Therefore, if there is any consolation or comfort in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness of mind let each esteem everybody say esteem let each esteem others better than himself let each of you look out not only for his own interests but also for the interest of others let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus who being in the form of god did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So tonight I'm going to speak to you and... Um, I'm gonna let you know right now. I'm not going I'm not really gonna scream at you But you're gonna have to pay attention because if you don't pay attention, you're gonna miss it uh, here tonight, but he- here's the deal um, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to you on something that might actually uh, Contradict what you've been told in the past by the social sciences and and um, my title's going to give it away right here. And that is The Sin of High Self-Esteem. The Sin of High Self-Esteem. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy, huh? Because everybody thinks, man, I need to have high self-esteem. Not. We don't want low self-esteem. We want high self-esteem. But um, I'm going to show you that to have high self-esteem is just as bad as having low self-esteem high self-esteem is just as bad it is the, it is a sin it is as sinful as having low self-esteem that's what I want to speak to you here tonight the sin of high self-esteem thank you Lord for your word and I pray that you would touch us that you would help me to bring it forth in a manner that is understandable give me oh God the ability to uh, make it, oh God, so simple that even a kid could understand it, but then that he won't just understand it, but that he would allow it to be planted in the soil of good soil and bring forth much fruit. And we ask these things, oh God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you all. You may be seated all over this building. The Sin of High Self-Esteem. So we live in a world of uh, talk shows, right, where celebrity guests come in to be interviewed by charismatic and entertaining hosts. Now the primary reason and purpose of these interviews are so that the audience can get a clearer picture of a celebrity's uh, innermost thoughts on a certain subject. Um, you know, we know their work, we know their love about their love life, we know the gossip. But when they're seated at, in a talk show setting, we get to know what their mind is. The most interesting interviews are usually those that involve great world leaders or influential characters or courageous heroes or people who defied the odds to become national and or international sensations by way of their sheer bravery. Those are really cool interviews, you know. Um, I remember watching an interview with, uh, uh, what was his name? I think his name was Sully. Is the guy that was um, uh, the, the, the pilot that, that landed in the Hudson River uh, instead of, you know, crashing the, the, the plane somewhere in the city. And, and it's just fascinating to hear the mind of these guys, how they come up with what they come up with, how they, uh, how, how they work under pressure. Uh, it is fascinating. The questions that we all are uh, interested in asking are those that delve deeply into the minds of these great personalities so that we may get the motives behind why they do what they do. We're not satisfied with shallow answers. We really want to excavate to the very depth of someone and get insight into their mind and into their heart. You know, honestly, I would have loved for like Larry King uh, to interview someone like Adolf Hitler. I would have loved that. Like Larry King in his chair, Adolf Hitler in the electric chair. But um, I would have loved that to better understand what motivated Adolf Hitler to accomplish the atrocities that he did. I also would have loved to pick the brain of people like Gandhi or Mother Teresa or to better understand civil rights and social justice. I would have loved to be in the same room with great speakers like Theodore Roosevelt or Winston Churchill or John F. Kennedy or Martin Luther King Jr. These were all great speakers. I would have loved to ask them questions to see what their mind was about public speaking. How about the heroism of Abraham Lincoln and how he remained unfazed in the midst of great opposition to bring emancipation to the African slaves in America? I would have loved to hear his uh, position on all of these things. Those are the brains we want to pick. Those are the minds we want insight to. Those are the people we pay money in order to dissect their innermost thoughts. The mind of someone is what makes that person tick. It's who they are, it is their worldview, their paradigm on life and the world. And ultimately, if I had the opportunity to interview anybody, from all of history from the beginning of mankind if i had an opportunity to interview anybody um, i would probably have to say jesus jesus i mean who wouldn't want to interview jesus Inter- in- interestingly enough jesus the greatest of all personalities in the history of all mankind Though he doesn't sit on a talk show, he leaves us a picture of what makes him tick. He leaves us a picture of what his worldview was, what his personal motives were, what his paradigm was, what his intentions were. Paul, under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, describes to us what is the mind of Christ this is what he said. He said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he describes to us what the, that mind was, what he thought, what influenced him, what motivated him to do what he did. Well, what was that, Paul? W- what is the mind of Christ? Well, what is the modus operandi of Christ? What is our Christ's innermost motives? What can a transcendent, all-powerful, all-knowing, and all wise mind be all about? Well, ladies and gentlemen, according to Paul, Christ's mind is surprisingly not consistent with the way our minds work in today's world. Why is that? Why is Christ's mind not consistent with our mind today and the way that we think and the, the things that motivate us? I'm going to tell you why. Because Christ seeks to love more than he seeks to be loved. Christ seeks to serve more than he seeks to be. Be served. He said he did not come to he did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for others. That is Christ's mind in a nutshell. Christ prefers others above himself. In a nutshell, the mind of Christ is characterized by selflessness and this little word, word called humility. Humility humility. Wow, that's the mind of Christ. Humility. Well, that doesn't bode well with us. That's difficult for us to understand in 2018. I'll tell you why. Because we live in a self e generation. We live in a selfie generation, right? It is a me first generation. It is a generation that is fascinated with Me. And I mean, we are so fascinated with me. We don't just post the first picture we take of ourselves, we post. The number 338, and it's got to be perfect lighting, perfect shade, perfect angle. Your teeth have to look right, and if they don't, you have to find that filter to cover up that you didn't brush your teeth this morning. So, you, so you've so you got to find that little filter, and if they're not white enough, you'll go black and white if you have to, because, you know, you want everybody to know... Y'all ain't even. Y'all ain't even gonna be real with me here tonight. We live in a selfie generation. See, we li- live uh, in a place where self is placed on a pedestal. I want self to be placed on a pedestal. We live in a generation that is obsessed with personal happiness. You know what kills me is um, you're talking about selfies. It's like, pe- you know, when you take a picture. And then people are like, let me see, let me see. Like, when you go look at a picture you just took with a group, you never look at anybody else. You never, you could care less if their eyes are looking all tore up. If like, you could care less, right? All you know is it doesn't matter if everybody else looks tow up in this picture. If you look good, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah let's post this one. Let's post this one. This, I like this one. I like this one. This is good. This is good. The group looks good. Everybody looks good. Because we, we, we live in a generation that is obsessed with me, my personal happiness, my personal comfort, my personal accomplishments. And sometimes at the exclusion of other people's happiness and other people's personal comfort and other people's accomplishments. See, our view of self is overinflated. And as a consequence, it is increasingly difficult to understand the mind of Christ, which is characterized by humility and preferring others above himself. P- Paul gives Timothy a warning that this would be a sign of the last days. This is how we know that we're living in the last days because he says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves. Men will be lovers Of themselves. Is that not what we see all around us today? Better yet, lest we place the blame on everybody else. Is that not what we see in ourselves today? We go out of our way to satisfy our own lust, to make ourselves happy at whatever cost, to be selfish at the expense of the rights and comforts of others because we are lovers of ourselves. But, but we must be oh so very careful with this. And I'm going to tell you why. Because where does evil stem from in today's society? Brothers and sisters, it stems from the fact that we are lovers of self. That's where evil stems from. The fact that we are lovers of self. I'll prove that to you. A man who beats his wife does not beat his wife because he loves her. A man who beats his wife is beating his wife to satisfy his own anger, to satisfy the lust of his own anger. Why? Because he loves himself. A man who cheats on his wife because his needs are not being met does so because he loves him. A woman who neglects her her children in order to enjoy her life, she does so because she is obsessed with her personal enjoyment. Her needs are not being met. I'm also a human being. I don't need to be locked up all the time and serving the needs of others. I've got to enjoy my life as well. I need to get out there and have fun. It is all about me. See, all evil stems from the satisfaction of self. That is what drugs are. Alcohol, violence, cheating, abuse, pride, adultery, addiction. Pick your vice. Whatever your vice
1: is, it is because we are lovers of self. Self.
0: And as a consequence, We inconspicuously, that's a good word for words with friends. Inconspicuously, that'll get you a seven word bingo right there. Inconspicuously, we break the first commandment every day. You know what the first commandment is? Thou shalt have no other gods before you. Thou shalt have no other gods before you. But we break it when we make the satisfaction of self, a God over our creator. See, Romans 1 tells us that we have exchanged the glory of the invisible God into the image of corruptible men. We have exchanged the glory of the invisible God for an incorruptible or for the the image of corruptible men. That is, we have placed men, not God, front and center on a pedestal that only God should stand on. We have exchanged God for men. That's what we have done in our society. And Jesus assumes that that has happened to us when he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And you know, it, it's funny because in today's humanistic society where everything, you know, we preach and talk about is high self esteem and you've got to love yourself and you've got to place yourself, you know, forgive yourself, love yourself, put yourself on this pedestal. And you know what? In today's humanistic society, we use that verse as our basis for high self-esteem. And you know how how people preach it? We say, you see, Jesus meant that we should love ourselves because how can you love your neighbor unless you love yourself? And that's what Jesus was saying. Well, I hate to break it to you. That is not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was not saying, love you, boo-boo, so you can love somebody else. That is not what he was saying. What Jesus was saying is you already love yourself way too much. And if you just loved your neighbor like you already love yourself the world would be a much better place. You already are a lover of self. You defend self at all costs. You will do anything to defend yourself. In his book uh, the, freedom, the Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, uh, Tim Keller, he writes this. He says, up until the 20th century, traditional cultures, and this is still true of most cultures in the world, always believed that too high a view of yourself was the root cause of all the evil in the world. What is the reason for, the, for most of the crime and violence in the world? Why are people abused? Why are people cruel? Why do people do the bad things that they do? Traditionally, the answer was hubris, which is the Greek word for uh, pride. Uh, hubris, meaning pride, or too high a view of yourself. Traditionally, that was the reason given for why people misbehaved. But in our mo- modern Western culture, we have developed an utterly opposite cultural consensus. The basis of contemporary education, the way we treat incarcerated prisoners, the foundation of most modern legislation and the starting point of modern counseling is exactly the opposite of the traditional consensus. Our belief today, and it is deeply rooted in everything, is that people misbehave for lack of of self-esteem and because they have too low a view of themselves. For example, the reason husbands beat their wives and the reason people are criminals is because they have too low a view of themselves. People used to think it was because they had too high a view of themselves and had too much self-esteem. But now we say, uh-uh, it's because you think too little of yourself. That's what our educational system and the social sciences are teaching us today. They're saying, see, the reason that you do what you do is because you have low self-esteem. But that is not the traditional view. Most cultures have always thought that it was a high view of self that was killing our societies, not a low view of self. See, what we have done is that we have completely turned the tables around and now, All evil, according to us, stems from low self-esteem. You have low self-esteem. You are insecure. And then because you are insecure, this is where evil stems from. We warn people about low self-esteem and don't realize that low self-esteem is actually a great disguise for high self-esteem. I'm going to say that again. Low self-esteem is actually a disguise for high self-esteem. I mean, think about it. People with low self-esteem are offended easily. They're in the fields all the time. All the time. I mean, you can't tell them a thing, and you know, you just, you just, you just got them all up in their fields, right? Why? Because their ego is hurt. Their ego is there. Now I need you to notice something. Because you know how we express that? We say, my feelings are hurt. You hurt my feelings. (laughs) Here's the problem with that, people. Feelings can't be hurt. Feelings can only be experienced. You don't, feelings are like happiness. It's like you saying, my happiness is hurt. It makes absolutely no sense. Feelings can't be hurt. Do you know what hurt you? It's not your feelings that are hurt. It is your ego that is hurt. Your ego, your hubris, your pride that is hurt. Think about it. It is very hard to get through a whole day without feeling snubbed or ignored or feeling dumb or getting down on ourselves somewhere or somehow. Think about that. That is because there is something wrong not with our feelings but with our egos. It is our ego that is being hurt. It is me. There is something wrong with my sense of self. It is never happy. It is never fulfilled. It never arrives. It is always striving but never arriving. It is always drawing attention to itself. People with low self-esteem, they suffer from loneliness, right? Well, So we feel bad for them because after all, poor people, they're just lonely. They're just, you know, they're just kind of depressed and they're in the room by themselves. They don't want to talk to anybody. They're just uh, over there just figuring out how to, you know, make a pipe bomb to send to CNN. So that's what we do. But here's the problem. Loneliness reveals surprisingly not low self esteem, but high self esteem. Let me, let me explain that to you. Why are people lonely? You know why people are lonely? Because you feel snubbed. I didn't get the flowers, I should have been invited to prom by that quarterback with the big arms, right? She didn't wink back when I winked at her during class. And I slid all the way into her DM. And she didn't even, it says C and she didn't even reply and I've been waiting two long days and I'm not even going I'm not even going to reply back and then it's like the third day and you start like your, your hand starts like okay you know what you know what you witch I'm going I'm going to get back at
1: you
0: I didn't get treated like a queen nobody asked me out Nobody likes me. No one comes to pick me up. No one texts me. No one comes to hang out with us. No one. and, And here's the deal. What is the main focus of all of these complaints? It is me. It is me. I didn't get it. I don't get asked. I don't. No one reaches out to me. Me, me, me. You know why? It is because I feel that I should belong. It is because I feel that I should be treated a certain way. It is because I feel like I'm one of the top dudes here and nobody's paying attention to me. Like, yo,
1: yo, I look good. Why is no one hollering at me when I really look good, right? And, and, And what's the problem with
0: all of this? It's you, your sense of self is what's killing you. But you know what we're calling it? Low self-esteem. Poor guy, he has low self-esteem. Poor girl, if she could just get a little self-esteem, that's what we're calling it. We don't realize that in actuality, low self-esteem is a great disguise for high self-esteem. I feel like I deserve to be treated a certain way. See, and a key word, to better describe our inflated egos and our own self-worth, in today's society, is the word we often use to help people feel better about themselves. And that is, you don't deserve that. You deserve better. Right? You deserve a good man that's gonna take care of you and get you to get your hair did and your nails did. Right? Like, you deserve that. I'd be very careful when I throw that word around. Because if we really got what we deserved, we wouldn't be too happy. See, biblically speaking, we all deserve death. Every time we sin, we commit cosmic treason against the king of glory. And the soul that sins is the soul that will surely die, the Bible says. A few years ago, there was an article in the New York Times magazine uh, by psychologist Lauren uh, Slater. And it was called The Trouble with Self-Esteem. The Trouble with Self-Esteem. The main point was to point out that there is no evidence that low self-esteem is a big problem in, in society. And she quotes three current studies into the subject of self-esteem, all of which reach this conclusion. And she states that people with high self-esteem pose a greater threat to those around them than people with low self-esteem. And feeling bad about yourself is not the source of our country's biggest, most expensive social problems. That's what she said, end quote. What she was saying here is, you know, people make it as, you know, well, it's the people with low self-esteem that are in the jails. It's the people with low self-esteem that are committing the crimes. And and she says, no, historically, people with low self-esteem are not the bad ones. It is people with high self-esteem that are killing this world. This really highlights what Paul is trying to tell the church in Philippians. But right here in our text, what he is saying is church problems and relational problems and world problems are not associated with low self-esteem. They are associated with something much more damning. Do you know what that I, that is? It is a high sense of self. It is a high view of of self. If you go back to the text, you will see that very clearly. Paul, how do you propose that we have unity instead of, you know, having discord among each other and problems in the world and in our relationships? He says, this is how Paul describes that they should have unity. He says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. That was our text. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That's what Paul says. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. In other words, Paul says, before I tell you how to have unity, I must tell you how not to have unity. You know how you not how you don't have unity? He says through selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. Love of self. That's basically what that means. Rivalry, contention, competition. Pushing your way to the top above others. That's what that means. Ambition is not evil, people. Ambition is simply defined as to seek earnestly. And the Bible even tells us that we, that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Who are ambitious after him. That's what that word diligently means. To have ambition is not evil in and of itself. So long as what you earnestly desire is rooted in the well-being of others. What is wrong is when your ambition is selfish, selfish ambition. Selfishness is when you are concerned primarily with your own best interest, with your own welfare, with your own benefit, regardless of others. That is what is evil. Selfish ambition is a work of the flesh opposed to the fruit of the spirit. And it will disallow you to enter
1: heaven when you have selfish ambition, when your life is surrounded by you, characterized by you, when everything revolves around me. When every decision I make is about, oh, I've got
0: to take care of number one. I've got to do what's best for me. I've got to think about how I'm going to enjoy this. You know, selfish ambition. That's what selfish ambition is. Have have you ever seen people that are kind of like that, you know? Like, and you can really tell. Like, as soon as they sit down at a table and they're looking at the appetizers, They're always trying to get the bigger one, you know, like before anybody. And they think they're slick. Like they try to do it before anybody notices. You know, as soon as they sit, they're like, yeah, hey, dig in, guys. And it's like, you know, it's the last empanada. You know, it's the last empanada. And and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, like you just ate one, dude ate four. So you're like, that one belongs to me, right? But you, like this guy is like, hey, does anybody want this (laughs) empanada? Does everybody want this empanada? It's like, dude, can can you not? You know, can you not please share? Share sharing is caring, but people are not like this today. You know why? Because we are about selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. We want the first seats. We want what's comfortable. You get to a restaurant, people are 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 like fighting to get that booth seat, right? Like there's, on one end it's the booth and the other end is the, 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 you know, the chairs. And people are like, hey, which side would you like? And they're leaning towards the booth end, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, I'll just take the chair. It, it's all right, you know, because what drives us is self, self, self. But selfish ambition stems from an ego problem conceit, an excessively favorable opinion of one's own ability and importance, high self-esteem is what leads to selfish ambition. This is what leads to it. Look, um, in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, he writes this, and I I love C.S. Lewis. He, He writes this, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having it more than the next person. That's pretty powerful. Pride gets no pleasure in having something only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you where I really, really noticed this, and it shocked me to death. I was in, uh, I was in Fiji, right? And uh, and we were, uh, we were done. It's 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 kind of it's funny and it's not funny. It's kind of sad, but it's kind of funny. All right. So we were done with our. Um, we were done with you know the revival. It was Monday, and we were headed back. Uh, to the main, uh, you know, city. I was flying out of there, so you know, I wanted the whole experience. I wanted the whole experience, so I w- we took the scenic route. Like I took the bus. I refused to go I- in a car with everybody. I just said, let's take the bus. Let's take this. You know, I just want to do what the locals do. Whenever I travel, like y'all need to understand. Some like I, I seriously need to up my uh, my life insurance because the places I go to. <laughs> the, like the places I go to, you don't like. If you ever travel with me, you are gonna have a heart attack. Cause I I go places where people are like, where are we? See, but I grew up in the Bronx. Like the stuff don't scare me like that. But anyway, so I was like, um, all right. So I'm gonna go with uh, whatever whatever you guys do. So I was in a, a bus. All right. So as we're in the bus, we actually hit a man in a little village. The bus hits a man. It So that's why I say, it was it was sad, but it was kind of funny, because <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord, forgive me. <laughs> forgive me, Lord. But I'm going to tell you why it was funny, because I was sitting towards the front, and I saw the whole thing, and uh, so this man had a uh, a basket full of uh, plantains. You guys know what plantains are, like green plantains, right? They're they're like bananas, but they're like uh, green, whatever. So he had a basket full of plantains, and um, he was crossing. <laughs> Y'all don't don't laugh, cause it's not funny. So anyway, he was crossing the street, and I don't know how you're crossing the street. It's a highway, right? How are you not going to see this big old bus? <laughs> But he's just crossing the street like nothing's happening. And the bus driver was like, <laughs> hits the horn. And this guy looks over and the man's face, listen, the man's face, I was sitting right there. So I saw the dude's face. Everybody screamed, like the bus driver was like, oh! And I was like, oh! And the man was like, ah! Oh! And this bus hits this man, and all you see is like twenty plantains just <laughs> fly. Y'all, why are you laughing in the house of God? We're talking about, we're talking about others, and here you are laughing at people. Anyway, so there are plantains everywhere. The man was uh, had to be taken to the hospital and whatnot. It was it was a bad situation. So we were stuck there for three hours because. Um, the, the local precinct, like, for the the cops needed to get there. For the cops to get there, it took them, like, two hours. That's the local cops from the city, so they had to come all the way in. So I had a, an opportunity there in Fiji in a little, poor little village, right? I mean, when I say poor, these people lived in huts, like literal mud huts on the side of the road, right? And uh, like all the kids were barefooted and all that stuff. You know how people are like, um, oh, poor people. They're like hungry and they're so poor and they're this and they're that. Well, here's the deal. I I figured something out. Like while I was there, there was a girl on our bus and, and poor girl, she was handicapped, right? Well, the problem is when she came, you know, they had everybody want to come out of the bus. When this girl came out of the bus, I was observing the whole thing. When this girl came out of the bus and and she was, you know, she was moving, uh, she was having a hard time moving, whatever. These kids in the village had never seen a handicapped girl. And these little poor, like, if we were to see them, we would think, Oh, poor kids, you know, let me, let, let, come over here so I can give you a quarter and uh, whatever, get you some chips. But um, but these kids were dying laughing at this girl. I mean, as poor as they were, they just sat there and laughed to their heart's content. And it hit me, it hit me on that day that pride is not about really how much you have, it is about as long as you're better off than somebody else. It really doesn't matter where you're at or how much you have. Right? It's not about that. Like, honestly, I could care less <laughs> in, in apostolic circles. Like, I could care less about wearing the $3,000 suit. I could care less about that. You know why? Because none of y'all could afford it. Y'all can't afford that. So I'm like, why am I going to buy a $3,000 suit when I could just get a $500 suit and still look better than everybody else? You understand what I'm saying? So I'm not going to worry about the $3,000 suit. I'm going to walk around like a king because I've got the $500 suit that was on discount at the Hugo Boss outlet that... Y'all getting what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I'm going to get this suit that was like, you know, $3,000 with 98% off. I'm going to get that on Black Friday, but I'm going to show up and I'm going to look good at at my reunions. You know why? Because you can't afford a $3,000 suit. So even if I have a $500 suit, I have Hubris. I have pride. I have high self-esteem. I'm looking at you, and I'm going, I'm better than you. So I'm good where I'm at. And it doesn't matter that if I were to show up at the Grammys, my $500 suit is going to be scorned and laughed at. That doesn't matter to me, though. You know why? Because I'm never going to go to the Grammys. No one's ever going to see me there. I'm never going to rock out there. I'm not going to preach at no Grammys or Tonys or Emmys or anything like that. I'm going to preach where you are. And you can't compete against me working at Taco Bell. So I'm going to make sure, not you per se, or you, I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm going to do. Because as long as I'm richer or cleverer or smarter, than you, then I've got all that I need. Okay, I'm done. So how do we accomplish unity? Well, Paul says, the way you do it is through the exact opposite of selfish ambition and conceit. You know how? You do it through humility, lowliness of mind. He says, Paul's definition of humility is to esteem others above yourself. This is what he said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is what lowliness of mind is. See, the key to fulfilling unity in the church and in your relationships and in your own life in general, is what Paul calls loneliness of mind. Pride comes from a sense of entitlement. You owe me. I deserve. But pride leads to loneliness. Pride leads to loneliness. I should have. I need. I should have the, the stuff that you have. But humility comes from a sense of looking for the interests of others. And you were not created to look after your own interests, first. You were created to look after the interests of others. There's a reason why God said that it's not good for men to be alone. It is not good for men to be alone because there is a sense in which we have to look out for the interests of others. We must bear each other's burdens in the Lord. This is what the Bible is talking about. And and see, listen, According to Paul, humility comes from esteeming others, others better than himself or other, others better than yourself. Esteeming doesn't necessarily mean that you think or that intrinsically this person is worth more than you. But when he says esteem them as better than yourself, it means blindly. It doesn't matter who it is. Esteem them as better than yourself. It doesn't matter if it's a bum on the street or if it's the latest billionaire on on Forbes' top 100 list. He says, when you see somebody else blindly, esteem them as better than yourself. Do you know what that word means? There's There's a sense in which the word means appraise. And how many know what an appraisal is? Like when you get your home appraised. Raise your hands if you know what that means. Any homeowner here? Okay. Any 13-year-old homeowner in this house? No? All right. So when you get an appraisal, right, is to set a value on something, to prize, you know, like if I want want to appraise this building, let's say I wanted to sell this building, well, I'll get somebody to come and appraise it so that they could tell me, what this building is worth they set a value and then w- once you know what the worth of that building you know you know how people say you know you know how we say it in our general like you better know your worth girl you know don't you know set your value high and you better know your worth right well what are you doing what you're doing what they're telling you to do is appraise yourself figure out what your price is but Paul right here is saying I don't want you to figure out what your worth is. He said, I want you to place their worth, other people's worth, as above yours at all times. That's humility. Know their worth. That's what Paul is saying. Not know your worth, know their worth. And their worth is when you esteem them, appraise them. And and you're saying, oh, but I would never do that. I would never judge anybody based on this and based on that. I am not... Listen... Let me just tell you something real quick. We are all appraisers. We are all appraisers. And I'm going to tell you that. I'm going to prove that to you because when the next time you go to youth conference, I'm going to tell you when your eyes start roaming, when somebody comes over and starts talking to you, right, they're like, hey, and you're not very interested in talking to them because that cute guy walked over, you know, that's the guy I want to talk to over there. You just appraise this dude right here. This dude, you're not worth my time. You just appraised him. That's what you did. You set his value really low. You're not worth my time. You're talking to him, but your eyes are roaming. Oh, you know I'm good. Mm, mm. Lord have mercy. <laughs> right? Get you Psalm. that's. That's, <laughs> that's that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, when's the last time I saw you? Yeah, oh, he's leaving. Um, you know what? Hold that right. Hey, it was good to see you. All right, tell your mom I said hi. And and so and so you're looking for the next stuff because you are appraising. And Paul says we're all appraising, but when you appraise, esteem others is better than yourself. And finally. The greatest example of humility and the very source of our humility, the greatest example of how not to have high self-esteem is in the lowliness of the cross. Jesus is said to be in the likeness of God. That is, he is God. And yet, this is what Paul said to give you an example of how to appraise others better than yourself. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? Jesus, he was in the form of God, but he did not consider robbery to be equal with God. He made
1: himself of no reputation. If there was anybody that had the right to have high self-esteem. It was Jesus. If there was anybody who had the right to say, look at me. I'm a bad dude. Look at me. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And yet... Being God, he made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. And he came in the likeliness of men. And being found in the,
0: in the appearance of men, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the death and even the death of the cross. Jesus, the highest of them all. Jesus, the one who could have said, hey, if anybody should be out here claiming high self-esteem as me because I've got it all. I've got all power in my hands. I, I defeated death and death had no chance because I swallowed death up in victory and death was the final enemy, the most powerful of all enemies and
1: I defeated it. <laughs> Crowned with glory and yet He made himself of no reputation. He did it for you while you were yet a sinner. He loved you. He esteemed you higher than himself. The King of Glory died for you when we were not worth it. He died for us. Why? Because he esteemed us higher than himself. He paid a price that we could not pay, so that now we can live a life that we do not deserve. Why? Because he esteemed us as higher. He
0: humbled himself. So, Father God, as we struggle here in our society and in our generation, we're struggling, oh God, every single day with loneliness and depression. Every single day, some of the youth is struggling, oh God, with low self-esteem and they're struggling to, with insecurities, but I pray you deliver us from it. I pray that you really help us take the mask off the disguise so that we could really see what's behind it, so that we could really see that what's behind that low self-esteem and the insecurities that what's really behind the depression and the loneliness is a high view of self. I feel like I deserve. I feel like I should be on top. I feel like I belong. I feel like I need to be where I need to be because I, 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 it's all about me. Life revolves around me. There's selfish ambition in me. But I pray here tonight that you would help us, so God, understand that the cross teaches us that we should esteem others above ourselves, that we should give our lives to others, that we should help others, the poor and the needy and those who need a helping hand and even the rich, that we should humble ourselves at all times, that we should forgive even when people are unforgivable, that we should love even when people are unlovable, when they don't deserve our love and our mercy and our grace, that we should still extend grace and mercy and love and be graceful. And I pray, oh God, that you would help us esteem others at all times. And it is the hardest thing to do. It makes us uncomfortable and it offends us. And we we, we are so hurt by it all. But God, I pray that every single day that we would esteem, that we would appraise their value as higher than us, that we would be humble about everything we do in life, that we would not take ourselves too seriously. But that today, oh God, we would break away from the sin of high self-esteem the sin of setting our worth above anybody else. God, that we would be have lowliness of mind and that we would have your mind, which is the mind of humility, your mind, which is the mind of Christ. And I pray, oh God, that you would help us with this. In Jesus' name, I pray.